0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church where we are one church meeting in five different locations and our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com I have two questions for you this morning as we continue in our series Who is Jesus? Two questions. The first question is The title. Of our series is what we've been asking. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? Who was this son of a carpenter, son of Mary, this Galilean, this man from Nazareth? Who was this man that showed up on the scene and has utterly changed the world? And I say this so much because it's just so profound to me to think that history itself, he is the hinge of history. Before his birth was BC time. After his death, which is not what A.D. means, but A.D. means Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. We are living in the year of our Lord. We are living in the year of his kingdom. It's the title of our series, and we've already talked about him being fully God. That was week one. We went right to it. Who is Jesus? Jesus is fully God. God. Jesus is also fully man, not half God, not half man, fully God, fully man. He's also our high priest. And then last week, I hope you all enjoyed last week, we talked about him being the king of kings, who came here to establish a kingdom, not a religion, not a philosophy, not just a way of thinking, not something to change your weekend plans. He came to establish a kingdom in which he is the king of. He's building that kingdom. And I hope that in this series, the scriptures that you've read are coming to life to you. He is all of these things that we're talking about. He is not what the media says about him. He's not what speakers or philosophers say about him. He's not even what YouTube says about him. He is what the Bible says about him. And it's so important that we answer that question right because it determines everything. So this morning as I answer this, the first question, who is Jesus? I want to talk about Jesus the rabbi. Everybody say Jesus the rabbi. Jesus the rabbi. Jesus the rabbi. I want to start off in the same book that we began in, in the book of John. So in the book of John, let's go right to it. John chapter one, we started in week one talking about him in the beginning, right? The Bible says in the book of John, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so right after that in John chapter one, John, the gospel writer, he starts talking about how Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Many of you have heard that story before. And then after he was baptized by John the Baptist, he goes on to call his disciples, his first disciples. He calls them. And, and there's this process of Jesus gathering his team. And it's here that I want to start. <laughs> Same chapter, John chapter 1, verse 35. This is what it says. The following day, John, John the Baptist, that is, was again standing with two of his what? Disciples. Not a trick question. His what? Disciples. All right, his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they did what? They followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And it's this word, Rabbi, that I want to focus on. They stopped and they called him, Rabbi, where are you going? Because wherever it is you're going, I want to go there. Whatever it is you're doing, I want to do that. Whatever it is you're teaching, I'm all ears. And this is Jesus' reply. Come and see. Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him, the rest of the day. Now, let me explain a little bit about Jewish history, a Jewish, um, the context of being a rabbi. What is a rabbi? As we just saw, a rabbi is a, rabbi is a teacher. But an, uh, also another term, analogy to, to describe what a rabbi is, is the great one or a master. A rabbi was someone that we looked at with high esteem that we would learn from, that you can learn something from. And you see these disciples referring to Jesus as teacher. His disciples all throughout the Bible would refer to him as teacher or master all throughout the Gospels. And what I want to focus on this morning is him as a rabbi. Because again, what is a rabbi, pastor? Here's a great definition at a Christian website called GotQuestions.org said, a rabbi, literally my master, is a member of the clergy in the religion of Judaism. Rabbis often function as leaders of synagogues where they provide instruction in the Hebrew scriptures and Jewish traditions. Rabbis preach sermons, interpret the Old Testament, and perform other functions similar to those of Christian pastors. While Jesus was never part of the official temple leadership, he still got, excuse me, he was still considered a rabbi because of his ministry of teaching. Now, a rabbi was someone who was considered to be wise. They were wise. People wanted to learn from them. They had something of substance to give, something of substance to teach people. And because of that, people followed them and they listened to them. Now, in the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as rabbi 17 times. He's referred to as teacher or master over 40 times. So this is very widely known. If you were in the New Testament time watching this, you would have looked at him and the first thought would have probably been, he's a good rabbi. He's a good teacher. Y'all tracking with me? I'm going somewhere with this. The people looked at him as a rabbi. His disciples looked at him as a rabbi. But even the other religious leaders of that day looked at him as a rabbi. As a matter of fact, the scripture that we quote often here, the scripture about being born again, in John chapter 3, verse 1, Nicodemus, a very religious leader, he referred to Jesus as rabbi. As a matter of fact, let's read it. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So Jesus was widely known and recognized as this wise man, this teacher, this religious leader. And when rabbis taught People listened. But I want you to see something. Rabbis didn't just have crowds of people. They had disciples. And disciples were people who didn't just hear them speak, but they they followed them. They would follow. There was almost like this little group of following, this little entourage, if you will, that Jesus had of people who were there to learn from him. They wanted to learn whatever it is he was teaching. It wasn't enough for them to just hear him speak at a distance. They wanted to be close to him and they wanted to follow him. They were almost like interns. They were Jesus' students, Jesus' interns. They were there to learn from him. And they followed him closely. Now, I want to talk about the use of words for a minute. How many of you have ever noticed that words don't seem to mean the same things that they used to mean? One, we flippantly use them. We just randomly say stuff that doesn't make sense. But even the words themselves, some of these words, they do not make sense. Or we say words as the opposite of what they actually mean. Let me give you a few examples. Back in the 70s, how many of y'all remember this When We used to call stuff bad. What did bad actually mean? It was good. You look at it and be like, man, whoo, that girl's bad. Don't act like you didn't. Some of you met your wife going, whoo, bad mama. Oh my bad. Or how about this one? Even in the, the 80s and the 90s, we would call stuff sick. Man, that was sick. And what did you actually mean? That was really cool. I mean, that sickness is not really cool. We would call stuff sick. Or here's one that's, that's got a lot of meanings. Mad. So people in the the 2000s, 2010s, maybe even now, we say stuff like, man, they got mad skills. And what do we mean by mad? They have a lot of, right? We have, you have a lot of skills. You are really, really talented. You got mad skills. But before that, mad meant what? Angry. But let me blow your minds. Before that, before mad meant angry, mad meant crazy. When you said someone was going mad, you didn't say they were having an emotional outburst or just being angry. You went, that person is literally going insane. They're mad. Here's one of my favorites. When you ask someone a question, hey, do you want to say anything? And they say, no, no, yeah. We've I mean, heard people say that. Do you, do you, anything you want to say? No, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which one is it? Because you said no twice, and you want to say yeah once. <laughs> Words don't mean the same. Awesome. Do you really know what that word means? Awesome means to be full of all, something that has all attached to it. And we use the word all to push our kids away when we're busy with something. Dad, look at this, oh, that's awesome. Wow. And we belittle what that word even means. We, we, when we say something is awesome and we're busy, we're basically just saying, yeah, just leave me alone. We call people, I'm gonna keep going until y'all get this. <laughs> we call people Einstein. What do we normally mean when we call someone Einstein? You're an idiot. You're dumb. And we forget Einstein was one of the smartest people to ever live and we use it as an insult. Here's another weird one, literally. Only this generation can take the word literally to mean not literal. The definition of literally is this, exact or in a literal or strict sense. And we say things like, I literally died last night. (laughs) I I literally lost my mind last night. You keep using that word, and I don't think it means what you think it means, right? So we have these words that don't carry their original meaning, but follow is one of those words. We use words like follow nowadays to simply talk about who we like online. I follow this person on Facebook and Instagram. I follow this person on TikTok. We're not physically following them. Think about it like this. We say things like, oh, yeah, I, I know of them. I know you. I follow your wife and kids. If you were to say that in the 90s, you were going to jail. But I will say this. There's an element of truth. To even the people, the the influence that people have on us, even when we follow them online. There's an element of truth there. Because when you are following someone online, you are allowing them to influence the way that you think, whether you know it or not. Because every time that you see something on your feed or whatever it is that you're on, you're not just seeing what they do, you are seeing how they think. And they are giving you something to think about. They are feeding you. As a matter of fact, some of you need to go home and purge your Facebook, purge your Instagram, purge your TikTok. You need to purge the people that you are allowing to influence your life. Because every time you're seeing that, you're thinking the way that they're thinking whether you know it or not. So there is an element to following there that that makes sense, but nonetheless, it's not the true sense of the word following. Jesus' rabbis were real followers. They were called disciples. As a matter of fact, Christianity, the word, the whole term Christianity, that was not what we were originally called. That came later. You were not called a Christian until later on in the New Testament. Originally, we were called followers of the way because Jesus was the way. We were called followers of the way or we were called Jesus' disciples. And this is my belief, that the goal of a rabbi in having disciples is not just to have a crew, it's not just to have an entourage, it's not just to have people around who, who carry his bag or whatever it is they carried back then. It was to reproduce themselves and their teachings in their followers. It was to not just teach them, but it was to model for them and to show them how they were supposed to do what that person was doing. Let me give you more. This is attributed to Dallas Willard, a great, great scholar. He said this, the main responsibility of the disciple is to be with the teacher so that they can be like the teacher, The main responsibility of the disciple is to be with the teacher so that they could be like the teacher. Not just, I want to be around you because I gained some kind of status for being around you. I want to be around you because of the benefits that come from being around you. I want to be around you so that I can become like you. That's the responsibility of a disciple. Being around their teacher. Another another, um, Christian minister said this. Discipleship is being with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become like what that person is. An apprentice of Jesus is learning from him how to lead their life as we, excuse me, as he would lead their life if he were they. That's what disciples do with rabbis. Rabbis. I thought about this as I was writing this message. Two stories, one my own, but first I'll tell you, Dr. Scott Adams, some of y'all know and love Dr. Scott Adams. Incredible man. He'll actually be preaching here in a few weeks, which I'm excited about that. We're gonna have Dr. Scott come and teach on a Sunday. But Dr. Scott would not be Dr. Scott without a man named Ray McCullum. Pastor Ray McCullum taught in Nashville. Now, I'll let Dr. Scott tell you all of his testimony, okay? okay? But Dr. Scott was basically flunking out of high school. This man that has two doctorates, two master's degrees, was basically flunking out of high school. I sent him a picture, a meme the other day of an empty chair, and I said, This was your high school graduation picture. <laughs> and so, He got around a man. When he got saved, he got born again. He he heard a man teach on the kingdom of heaven named Pastor Ray McCullum. And per his own words, and I've confirmed this with him, he said, when I heard him teach about the kingdom of God, it's like something went off in me. And I just attached myself to him. And he said, I was just annoyingly attached to him. He said, if there was something going on at his house, I was there. He said, I went, and I had breakfast with him, I learned from him, I, I just pursued that. Why did he pursue that? Because he saw something in that man that God was basically calling out of him. He knew, God knew, that that man had something to impart to Dr. Scott. And because of that, he found himself just attaching himself to that man as a teacher. There was a man in my life that was similar. Similar to that. His name was Steve Farmer. And I can remember when I was 19 years old, I went to a public school. There was this ministry happening in a public school, and this team of people that I was with went and we got the opportunity to speak at this school. And while we're teaching at this school, I met the director of this ministry called Face It Ministries. His name was Steve Farmer. And he was a short little guy, but he was feisty. And this little guy had this ministry going into schools, teaching kids. And he was speaking to, I don't know, 500 kids or something per week. And he was so funny and so charismatic and he just loved Jesus. And I can remember getting around him and something inside of me leapt. And because of that, I attached myself to him. And I got to hear him teach in big crowds, but I got to ride with him in his truck and hear him talk about how he thought. I got to watch him pastor people. I got to watch him love and husband his wife. I got to watch him love and raise his children. And it was in those settings that I learned far more from him than I ever would have just hearing him teach in a crowd. And he became someone who taught me more about Jesus because he was discipling me. When Let me ask you that question. Do you get around people who just make something inside of you leap? Have you been around people who you say, that person can bring me closer to Jesus? That person can make me more like Jesus. When you find them, attach to them. Attach yourself to them. Let Jesus teach you through them. Now, even in Jesus' ministry, there was a big difference, was and is, a big difference between the crowd and the disciples. Because Jesus, again, he taught to the crowds. He taught massive groups of people, four or 5,000 people at a time, without speakers, without microphones. So, crowds came to hear Jesus. But there was a difference between people in the crowd and disciples. But I want you to hear it this way. If you you were a disciple, you were in the crowd. But just because you were in the crowd didn't mean you were a disciple. And there's a big distinction even to this day. The crowds heard Jesus. Disciples followed Jesus. Crowds know what Jesus said. Disciples do what he did. There is a difference. And Jesus even said this, you can call him rabbi, teacher, Lord, and not mean it. You can call him that and it not be genuine to the relationship. Ladies, how many of you have ever had a guy say, you're my girlfriend, and you said, I am? Really, nobody informed me of that. There's a similar moment in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus said this. He said, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? In other words, you're calling me your rabbi. You're calling me your leader. You're calling me your master. You're calling me your Lord. But you're not doing what I'm saying. And he goes on to say, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teachings, and then follows me. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it was well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey it is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins." And Jesus is basically, let me, let me say it like, let me say it this way. I think we've read that scripture and we thought, well, I'm just building my life on Jesus. I build my life on Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of my life. And there's very, that is very true, but that is not specific to what he was saying. What he was saying was, if you want to make it, you have to put into practice the things that I am telling you. Not just Jesus is my foundation. Jesus is not your foundation if you're not doing the things that he's asking you to do. What he's saying is if you're just walking around with your Christian t shirt on and your OSC bumper sticker, when the floods come, when the problems come, when circumstances hit your life, if you have not been building your life the way that he told you to, your house will collapse. Your faith will crumble. Because it wasn't established on truth. It was established on hearsay or what you wished would happen. Jesus says, You have to put into practice the things that I am telling you. That is how you build your life on the foundation. And, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that is the difference between someone in the crowd and a disciple. There is a difference. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11. I got to hurry. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He said, then Jesus said, because we will, we will take this and try to do it our way. We think that following him means I got to grit my teeth and I got to do everything perfect. And I got to make sure and I got to be the best me. And, I gotta, and we think it's this self-will thing. Jesus said this, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Very quickly, before I close, let me tell you, what is a yoke? Well, a yoke is something in agricultural times that you would put oxen together. They didn't have tractors. They didn't have John Deere. They didn't have the orange or the green. They just had oxen, they had these giant, big, bull-looking workhorses, not horses, oxen. And they would yoke them together by putting a big piece of wood that they would put their heads in. And these oxen would walk together with these things called yokes. They would plow the field with these yokes. So what was Jesus saying when he says, put my yoke on you, take my yoke on you? Yes, he's talking about his teachings, but I believe there's even something more that he's saying. When he says, I'm gentle, what he's saying is, if you get in this yoke with me, I'm gentle towards you. I'm going to bear the weight with you. doesn't mean you won't have weight. doesn't mean you won't have problems, but I am gentle as I walk you through this. The disciples knew... If we're going to do this thing, we've got to do it with Jesus. Disciples know if I'm going to walk out this journey of life, it's better for me to do it with Jesus. Because he loves me. Because he cares for me. Because he is gentle towards me. Doesn't mean he won't keep me going when I want to stop. And it doesn't mean he won't stop me when I want to keep going. But if I am with him, his way is perfect. And he will carry me. And then Jesus gives us the terms of discipleship. I want you to get this because here's my last question. I said I was going to give you two questions. Here's the big question. Are you a disciple? Or are you just in the crowd? Are you a follower? Have you put his yoke on you? Have you said, I'm going where you're going. I'm doing what you're doing. Whatever it is you want to do, I will follow he gives us the terms of discipleship in the exact same place that we were last week, in Caesarea Philippi, when Peter has the revelation of Jesus being the, the Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of the living God. All of these great things happen, and Peter gets a, Jesus starts telling them about what he, he's getting ready to go through, that he's getting ready to die, and he's go, all of these, he's going to suffer these things. And Peter has this great revelation, and he gets too big for his britches. And he says, Jesus That's never going to happen to you. And Jesus rebukes him and he says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says these words, which are the terms of discipleship. This is the dotted line that you sign as a disciple. He says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? In that moment, Jesus tells us the cost of discipleship. He gives us the line of demarcation between the crowd and the disciples. Between those who simply want the benefits of him and those who are actual followers. He says, if you want to follow me, lay down your life. That is what a real Christian is. We lay down our will. We lay down what we want. Submission. When we don't agree, submission begins where agreement ends. When I no longer agree with what you're saying, I submit to what you're saying because I am your follower and what you say goes. Where you send me, I will go. Where you tell me to stay, I will stay because I belong to you. I am yoked together with you and I know your will towards me is good. So wherever it is you say go, I'll go. Whatever you say do, I'll do. Is Jesus your rabbi? Is Jesus your teacher? Are you following him? Or have you settled for being in the crowd? Close your eyes, I wanna pray for you this morning. I want you to wrestle with that question. Are you a disciple? Are you a Christian by affiliation If you are, I want you to hear my heart as I say this, and I say this with love. Please hear your pastor say this with love. There is no Christianity without the cross. There's no following of Jesus without death to our wills, our ways, and following him. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Gabe, I'm in the crowd. I'm in the crowd. I'm not surrendered. I'm not talking about that for that, even for that first moment of being entering into the kingdom. I'm talking about those of you who've been around for a while and maybe you've stopped following. And the call of God to you today is surrender. Just follow me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's better my way. I believe that's what the Lord is saying to you. It's better my way. You've tried it your way. How's that working? My yoke is easy. Follow me. If that's you and you say, Pastor Gabe, I haven't been, but I want to follow him. I want to yield to him. I just want you right where you're at. You don't have to raise your one hand up high for me. I just want you to lift up both hands in a sign of surrender with your palms up to heaven and just say, Lord, I surrender. I want to follow you. I've been trying to do it my way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you use your own words. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm tired of being in the crowd. I want to be a follower. I want to be a follower. Now, Father, I pray for you people. I pray you bless them. God, I pray that you see them as they surrender. Bring them to that place of laying their lives down so that they can have the life that you came to give. Jesus, you said you came to give us life and that more abundantly. Give them the faith to let go and to follow. Bless your people. Thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy and the fruit that's gonna come from this moment. Thank you for being the rabbi we follow.